1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as uh, we've been working our way through this book, and we, we find ourselves today in chapter 7. So let, look up at me when uh, everybody is there, and uh, we'll all start together. Everybody there? 1 Corinthians? Yes? 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 Okay. It's very important that we all start this one together today. All right. Everybody ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. See the title? Yes, yes you do. <laughs> all right. So, 1 Corinthians. We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, with your pen in hand, now concerning the things about which you wrote. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Let us close in prayer. <laughs> Last week, last week we, we were in chapter 6 and we were talking about immorality and uh, God's plan for physical intimacy and uh, that was outside of marriage and you'll remember that as we spoke about that we said before marriage there is nothing and uh, then you get married and then there's everything. In case you missed it, you know, before marriage nothing, get married then everything. Everybody clear on that? Okay, so now, last week we were talking about that side, now we're going to talk about the other side. One of the things that we need to uh, keep in mind is that Paul is responding to questions that he has received. So it says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, the first question that they have is going to regard marriage, and it's also regarding the physical relationship within the marriage. And so we're not going to go into great detail. I'm going to give you some thoughts. And hopefully today, when you go home, if you are married, you will go into much greater detail. It's very important. So it's also important that, uh, and if I bless it all today, then just let's go with it. So Paul is also not uh, writing a one-chapter systematic theology on marriage. To get what God says about marriage, you need to cover the entire book to do that. But in that day, there were certain philosophies in the world, as, as there are today, and those philosophies had a way of creeping into the church. So one of the philosophies was hedonism, and hedonism held that, that uh, you know, as Christians, your spirit is saved, but your body's just going to decompose, so they're kind of separate, so what does it really matter, and, you know, who you're with, what you do, because ultimately your spirit goes to heaven. Well, last week in chapter 6, Paul dealt with that. Today, we're going to deal with another philosophy that had crept into the church, which is called asceticism. Now, asceticism held that you were more spiritual by the more physical pleasures that you denied. And uh, so sexual uh, desire would be a physical pleasure. And so they would say that you're more spiritual if you deny that. So even in marriage, the ascetics would say it's okay to be married, but you don't enjoy that because if you really want to be spiritual, you avoid those physical pleasures. And after all, didn't Jesus say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And so they, they would hold this as a way that you do that. So on last week, you have people using the wrong relationship to gratify certain desires. And this week, you have the right relationship, but they're not using the right relationship to uh, um, gratify the God-given desires that, that, uh, that God has given us. Okay, well, verse 7, <laughs> verse 1, on your outline, it says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, as we unpack this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, here Paul is not making a statement. He's just referring to their first question. He's repeating their first question. 
when he says it's good for man not to touch a woman, the word woman there, I put that on your outline, gune, a, a woman, especially it means a wife. It's talking about a wife. And so you want to underline that, a wife. Now, if you have the NIV translation, it's going to translate this this way there in your outline. It says, now for the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to marry. That was the first question. So there are two ways of looking at this verse as we begin to unpack this. First, it could be that they are asking, as believers, should we get married? And so some, some take it that way. Others take it that Paul is writing to people who are married already, and I would hold this, it applies to both, but uh, in marriage, should we touch our wives? Should we enjoy that? And uh, of course, the wife for the, for the husband. And again, the, the philosophy was asceticism. Now, when he says it is good for a man, their question, should a man touch a woman, the word touch is not like giving a high five or, or shaking a hand. It's a, it's a very unique word, and I put that there on your outline just so that we don't miss the point. You want to underline some of this. It says touch, the word there in the original language is heptomai, and it means to properly to fasten to, there's a connection here, to make adhere, underline that, Hence, specifically, to fasten fire to a thing, and I'm not even going to keep moving, to kindle, set on fire, carnal intercourse with a woman. So it's, so it's, it's more than just, hey, hon, how you doing? It's, you know. So there are children in the room. We're just going to move through. Verse 2, verse 2. So far, so good, by the way? Okay. Verse 2. But because of immoralities, and your Bible might say it a little bit different, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. So my translation, it will say immorality. Uh, some of your Bibles will say fornication. If you have the NIV, I think it says immoralities. Uh, the word there in the original language is pornea, and it just covers the wide range of any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. So some, as they read this verse, they say that Paul is saying, because of temptations, you need to get married. And that's, that's quite possibly the, uh, the, what, what he's saying. Others would say, no, Paul is writing to people who are already married. And because they're married, when he says each one is to have his own wife or the woman is to have her own husband, you're to have the one that you already have, which means that you are to be engaged in the, the having. Got it? Okay. All right. So um, because of that, some translations will translate this this way. They'll say, but because of immoralities, each man should have relations with his own wife, assuming that he's writing to, to married people, and each woman with her own husband. So it's, it's, you need to have relations with the one that you already have. It's not just if you're being tempted, you need to go get one. So it, it, it applies, uh, I think, to both. Now, there are some other aspects that I think at least briefly we need to consider here. First of all, in Corinth, we we don't have time to go into all of it, but when you read the history and all all that was going on in Corinth, their marriages were as bad as the marriages that you see in our country and in our day. Divorce was rampant, and uh, they they struggled in marriage just as our our culture does also. There was uh, another thing about Corinth that, that you'll find is that polygamy was very common. It was very common for a man to have more than, than one wife. Here, when Paul defines what marriage is, he says each man is to have his own wife. And it's very, very singular. The idea is that it's one man, 
one woman, and so it rules out polygamy for, for the Christian. It doesn't say one, each man should have his own wives. And Paul always describes it as one man, one wife. Also, it's important that when Paul describes marriage, it's always a man and a woman. It's never two men, and it's never two women. I know uh, in our country, the Supreme Court has decided otherwise. I do not want to be them when we stand before him because that's a lie from the pit of hell. And uh, God designed it a certain way for a certain reason, and somebody else comes to distort that picture. Well, verse two, again, it says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. So you wanna write this down. God is not against sex. He is pro-marriage. God is not against sex. He is pro-marriage. God is the one who designed the physical relationship. He's the one, and you know, when you look at the parts and how they all go together, it makes sense. It makes sense. It was all there by design. And the best part of it is that God thought the whole thing up, he designed it, and he gave that to married people. That was his, his idea. So go ahead and write this down, that God designed marriage for our happiness. That was the original intent. All the way back in the book of Genesis, a verse that we're all familiar with, it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And I put the Hebrew word there next to alone. He says, I will make him and help meet for him. Help meet. You might want to underline that word, help meet for him. I, I find it interesting that the word alone in English is, uh, it just, the Hebrew word is just bad. That's, that's how it's pronounced, bad. So alone is, is uh, bad from the Hebrew, which I, I find interesting. So God creates Eve and he brings her to Adam and he says, Adam, here is your new, very best, closest friend. This is your counterpart. This is your helpmeet. And uh, I love the fact that God and his design didn't want us to be alone. He didn't want us to be lonely. So God says, so I'm going to fix this. So I'm going to create a helpmeet. Now, the word helpmate is often misunderstood through the ages because uh, somebody would say, well, does that mean that I'm, I'm now his maid? You know, is, that, is that the idea? Well, uh, notice a couple of things. The word helpmate there on your outline, help is a compound word in the Hebrew, ezer, and just means to aid, to surround, to protect, protect. And uh, so ladies, you might want to underline that word protect. Then it says meet, and that word in the Hebrew is neged, and it just means counterpart or mate. And so God has given us to each other to be a protection and a counterpart. Not one's greater than the other, but we're, we're counterparts of each other. So again, uh, some would say, but, but um, does that mean that I'm his mate? And uh, this was explained to me years ago, and it just made sense. So let me share it with you. You've probably heard me say it before, but in the New Testament, there's an interesting verse when you take this concept. Jesus says, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, what's that word? Underline that, to be with you forever. So here's the idea. In the same way that God gave Eve as a helpmeet to Adam, he gives the Holy Spirit as a helper to you and I. Now, we all understand that the Holy Spirit is not your maid, but he's there for you, isn't he? Is there for you in the good and the bad. Doesn't mean he's your maid, it just means that he's there for you. And so that's the idea. So the marriage relationship was designed and there was to be an intimacy, a closeness, a, a, a friendship. 
And I hold, as I look at the design and I look at the, the verses and all that God has to say about it, I would hold that, that God called a married couple together. And really, because of the level of intimacy, that, that person is to be your very best and closest friend in the entire world. Cheryl and I have just celebrated 19 years of marriage, and we're still each other's very best friend. And that's what marriage was designed to be. So God's not anti-sex, he's pro-marriage. The physical relationship is something that God designed to live out within the context of the marriage relationship. We have all seen people who've taken that relationship and they've gone outside of God's design and they've destroyed their family, they've destroyed their lives, and they've destroyed the lives of others. So sex, when you think of it, is, is kind of like, for those of us who venture up north when it's cold, have you ever been up north when it's cold, and you have these great fireplaces, and so you have the fire in the fireplace, and, and you know, you just, it's, it's cold outside. You put that fire in the fireplace, and it's warm, it's comforting, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it, just, it just makes you feel good. It's a wonderful thing. But if you take that fire, and you put it anywhere else in the house, all of a sudden what's beautiful, what's warmth, what's comforting is, is only destructive, and it will burn down your house. And so in the same way, God has designed the sexual relationship to be in a certain environment. In marriage, it's a beautiful thing. When it goes outside of marriage, it always leads to destruction. And, and uh, you've heard me tell this story many times. In our family, we have 12 children. And what we say is that sometimes God puts babies in mommy's belly and sometimes God puts babies in mommy's heart. So we have four children that God put in mommy's heart. And I, I'll never forget the, the one time that we went to the hospital to pick up one of the babies that God put in mommy's heart. And as we're there, we met the birth mom and we met the baby and uh, the birth mom had met a guy and they had a fling and she thought this was going to be something more than it was. She gets pregnant and he takes off. And so now she has a baby and she makes the right decision. She's not going to end the baby's life or anything like that, but she realizes that she can't, she can't take care of the, the baby. She just doesn't have the means to do that. So she asks us if we will, we will take, take the baby. And so, of course, we say yes. And uh, so we go to the hospital, and it comes time, after 24 hours, it's time to sign the paper. And so she begins to cry as it's time to, to sign the paper. And so we said, we're going to step outside in the hallway you pray, you discern, you make sure this is the right thing for you to do, and, uh, and, and then if you do, then, then we'll go forward. So we stepped outside, and she's holding the baby. And all I can tell you is when she started to cry, it was a cry like nothing I'd ever heard before. It was this deep, guttural, ugh, ugh, I can't even do it. It was so deep and so painful. When Satan was showing her this over here, that it would be so good and so fun. He forgot to tell her that this is what this is going to look like in nine months. And it's going to be an unbearable pain. Well, she signed and we've been in touch through the years and it's been a blessing for our family. And she's, she still says she knows she did the right thing. And so it's been a great blessing, but, but there was a lot of pain involved. And God wants to spare people from the pain that Satan seems to leave out when he talks about the fun. That makes sense? 
So guys, you say, you know, I'm a guy, I have needs, what do I do? Well, you have those needs because God gave those needs to you. God gave you those desires. But here's the thing, don't, don't aspire to sex, aspire to marriage. Decide to become a godly guy. Get in God's word, get a job. Let God build some character in your life. Let God take you through a season of waiting on him while he's preparing you because he's your loving heavenly father. He's preparing somebody else and he wants to bring you across each other's path at just the right time. But here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you that we attract what we are. So guys, the girl who is waiting, allowing God to make her everything that she needs to be, she's walking faithfully. She's being faithful to her future husband who she doesn't know at this point. She's not waiting for a guy who's casually faithful to his future bride. She's looking for somebody who's absolutely faithful. She's not looking for somebody who's casually committed to God, but somebody who's absolutely com- committed. So, so guys and, and, and ladies, let the Lord do his work and commit, commit to allowing God, commit to your future spouse. That makes sense? All right. Guys, I hate to do this to you, but, but here's my favorite verse for guys. Here we go. And uh, you need to internalize this. It says, it says there in Proverbs, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Did you notice, guys, it doesn't even say if you find a good wife. God just looks at you and says, if you can find somebody who'll marry you, you've done good, Okay. <laughs> You've done better than, than you deserve. <laughs> but in our culture, we have these unrealistic expectations, don't we? I mean, we, we want to marry somebody who uh, they cook like, what is it, Rachel Ray. They can design your home, you know, like Martha Stewart. They have a great earning potential. They're making lots of money. And uh, they're voluptuous and sexy like your favorite movie star. And they have an incredible sex drive. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're waiting for. Here's the thing. She doesn't exist. <laughs> and what's worse, if she did, she could do better than you. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So, but here's what I want to say to you. And, you know, know, I got married when I was 35, and I wish somebody would have talked to me the way I'm talking to you. But you need to commit today to your future spouse. Commit today to your future spouse. One of our favorite verses that we love to share with singles, it's, uh, we've all heard of the Proverbs 31 wife. And notice there in your outline, it says, The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil. And I want you to underline the last part, all the days of her life, all the days of her life. Well, this could be written to a man. It could be written to a woman. It's written to a woman here, but it applies to the man also. And here's why this is so important. In our culture as Christians, we tend to say, you know, when I get married, when I get married, I'm going to be a good spouse. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good wife. I'm going to be good to them all the days. But it doesn't say all the days that they are married. It says all the days of her life. And what that means is that she chose to be good to her future spouse before she even knew her future spouse. So if you're single here today, I want you to write this down. As a single, I commit to doing my future spouse good all the days of my life. 
And if you haven't been doing your future spouse good, start today. Start today. Be faithful to your future husband. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you are not being faithful. You're not being good to your future spouse. And you are taking something that belongs to somebody else. It belongs to a future husband. It belongs to a future wife. And it's not for you to take that. And you need to be good to your future spouse. Verse two again. Let me just read real quick and then we'll move on. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. So when Paul says each one is to have their own Paul is saying that the married couple needs to be together physically enough so that neither of them are frustrated or tempted. Should, somebody should be like yelling amen at that point. All right, all right. All right, verse three. Here's where the, the fun begins. <coughs> verse, because it's been really boring ever since. Uh, verse three. Do you not... Oh, wait, I'm in the wrong chapter. (laughs) Verse three, the husband must. Now, how many of your Bibles say must? Good, underline that. Now, how many of your Bibles say should? Yeah, yeah, cross that out and write must. (laughs) Cross that out and write must. The husband must fulfill his duty. Underline the word duty. Some of your Bibles will say do. Uh, Either way, just underline it, to his wife. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. Now, that's a very interesting verse because it uses the word duty or do, and it translates into English that way. But um, when you look at the original definition of the word, it's much deeper. Notice the definition there of duty or do. I won't try to pronounce the Greek, but it means, and you want to underline, indebtedness. Everybody see that? Um, uh, Concretely, a sum owed, owed, an obligation or a conjugal duty. Uh, It's like a debt, and you need to pay up. That's the idea. It's a debt you need to pay up. So guys, tonight you go home. You bust that bedroom door open. You go, baby, I'm here to pay my debt. (laughs) This is Calvary Chapel. We hold to a literal interpretation (laughs) of the scriptures. And our purpose is to put the fun back in fundamentalism. So she's got needs and I'm showing up for duty. That's the idea, all right? It's your duty. So write this down. It's your duty. So God says, pay up, verse three. Write that down. Pay up. Now, I grew up on the old King James. So I love the old King James. So I put it there in your outline. And it says, let the husband render unto his wife, underline, do benevolence, verse three. Do benevolence. Everybody see that? Underline that. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. Ladies, sometimes you might not feel like it, but you need to render some due benevolence. So today when you go home, you need to render some due benevolence. For some of you, it's some overdue benevolence. You need to render. (laughs) Verse four. All right. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Now, when we got married as believers, what we did was we gave our bodies to somebody else. 
This is for your enjoyment. That's, that's the idea. And uh, so because we gave our bodies over, uh, we do not have authority. So here's what God would say to you. And you want to write this down. God says, give it up. Now, guys, if your wife is not filling out that little, uh, you, you just reach over. Just reach on over. So tonight they go, I don't feel like it. Oh, yes, you do. And I got a verse. <laughs> Blessed be the word of God. So it, it's, it's, more, it's more than that. It's more than that. You know, when Cheryl and I got married, one of the things I noticed about her, she has this, I love her hair. And uh, so we move here, we start the church, and we start having a couple of kids, and you know, Daniel and Abby, and, and all of a sudden, she starts to change her hairstyle. She starts to look very maternal. And so one day, I say, honey, you know, you, you're, cha- you know you're, you're, um, you're changing your hairstyle. She says, well, you know, I'm a mommy now. So I'm like, yeah, but you're not my mommy. So <laughs> change it back. <laughs> Guys, she says, she says, I want to cuddle. And you, nah, yes, you do. You gave that to her. So you show up and you give it up. Sound good? Yes. All right. Verse 5. Where am I? Can't my glass. Verse 5. Glasses are a little steamy here. Stop depriving. Some of your Bibles say defrauding. However, it says that you underline it. Stop depriving one another except by agreement. Now, underline that word agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. <clears throat> so first of all, he says, if, if you want to have a time of prayer, you know, by, by agreement, by agreement. So if, if one says no, say, honey, I just want to spend some time in prayer. The other one has to agree to that. If uh, the other one's not agreeing to that, you have no agreement. Then you go back to point one and two, okay? Pay up, give it up, okay? So that's where we are. So um, now when it says, it says uh, for, for prayer, some translations will emphasize, just so we don't get too far away from getting together, you might say, there in your outline, it says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a, an underlined limited time, limited time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when a couple decides to not uh, for a limited time so that they can pray, what's a limited time? Well, I'm just going to toss out two days. Because the reality is you ain't praying that much, okay? So that's, <laughs> that's enough time. Somebody should have yelled amen there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, There on your outline, it says, stop depriving. The word there is a posterio. I probably pronounced that wrong. Don't deprive one another. And uh, then if you have the old King James, which is great, uh, defraudy not one the other. You just can't improve on that, can you? (laughs) Defraudy not. (laughs) Try that one at home. So when he says depriving or defraud, I want you to just notice the definition there. Um, it, the depriving a posterior, defraud, destitute. And then I want you to underline where it says kept back by fraud. Kept back by fraud. Everybody see that? So it's defrauding because you promised. You promised. 
that you would do that. And uh, the way that you did that is you stood before typically a pastor, a bunch of witnesses, and you, you, you made some crazy promises, didn't you? And you said, here's what I'm going to do. So the couple comes in and they sit down and he, you know, one of them's frustrated and, you know, they don't want to, you know, on and on and on. And uh, so you sit down and they, they lay all that out and you, and you have to do a little drama. So you start, well, let's see, where, where are those vows that you said yes to? And you open a couple of drawers and flip through some folders. Here you go, oh, oh here, here we are. Let's see now. What did we commit to? Okay, so I take you to be my, hmm, for the stay forward and promise with God and these witnesses, be your faithful wife, join you, share what's to come, give and receive, speak and listen, inspire, respond. In circumstances of life together, loyal to you with my whole being. Oh, here it is. And with all my being, I will love you as your wife, lover, and friend. Wow. It's right there. Lover. You promise with all your being in front of God and witnesses. You know what we did just to seal the deal? We even said a few verses before that. Let no man break a vow before God, lest, you know, we, 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 we do that whole thing. And, uh, you know, you were there. As I remember, as you were uh, saying that, you were crying. And you were saying, I just can't wait to serve you in that way and to be there and just to meet all your needs. And you were crying and we were crying because we knew you didn't mean it, but, but, <laughs> but you were promising. And I think we got a video of the thing somewhere. <laughs> so when you hold back... When you hold back, you're defrauding what you promised. Somebody yell amen. <laughs> All the guys yell amen. <laughs> All right. So, um, so you, you need to pay up. You need to give it up. And just to make sure that you don't defraud, you need to show up. So go ahead and write that, write that down. Show up. So let's summarize what we have here today. Concerning the sexual relationship in marriage, now remember, before marriage, what is it? Nothing. And after you get married? Everything. Yes, okay. So, concerning the sexual relationship in marriage, first of all, we saw that sex is a legitimate need. You want to write that down? It's a legitimate need. God designed us that way, and uh, that's why you don't have authority over your own body. You gave that to somebody else. You don't want to deprive one another. It's, it's a legitimate need. God designed you that way. So, um, you, you, you want to make sure. Number two, you want to write down is that, that sex is for mutual benefit. It's supposed to be for each other's benefit. And I, I don't want to go too far in depth, but find out what they want. And number three, we're just <laughs> what do you want? So number three, so don't deprive them. Don't deprive them. It's for mutual benefit. And then three, sex is a spiritual responsibility. It's a spiritual responsibility. That's what Paul says, you must fulfill your duty. It's your responsibility to meet those needs. And you're the only person who can ever meet your spouse's needs. And you, you want to make sure that, that you're doing that. And then we also saw in verse 5, let me just read it again. He says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So apparently holding back on sex leads to temptation. 
you never want your spouse to leave home with any sexual energy. So that in the event that there is any temptation, ladies, you want him to be so drained that when she shows up, he's like, ah, get away. Yeah. Man, get a break around here. <laughs> so here, here's the closing thought. The Bible never says how often. So I did a little research. <laughs> and uh, apparently in America, uh, the, the frequency is you know, from very little to uh, at the high end about two to three times a week. It's about average, about average. You are a born-again, spirit-filled believer. God has not called you to live an average life. He has called you to aspire to being much more than above average. Amen? Before you get married, it's after you get married. So today when you go home, you follow the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this congregation and the fun we've had here today. But Lord, even more than the fun and just enjoying the the conversation, Lord, we are called to meet our our spouse's needs. And uh, in this unique, mystical relationship called marriage, you've given us to each other as best friends, as partners, as lovers, And I pray that, that for those of us who are here, that, that we would be the model of what marriage is supposed to be, what it could be, and how you designed it to be. For some, we commit today to being good to our future spouse all the days of our life. We're going to trust you today that as you do a work in our life, you're doing a work in somebody else's life. And because you spoke the universe into existence, you know how to get that person across our path at just the right time. And so we commit to pray for that future spouse and to be good to them now. We as married couples, we seek to be who you've called us to be in in our marriage, not to defraud, to hold back, but to be the blessing that we promised to be on that day that we were married. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.